all that to say, the lesson was number one, to start to trust more. Um, you know, with uh, recognizing that it was my decision, number one, uh, to feel like I belonged. And number two, if I do belong, let me be intentional about, you know, nurturing the relationships uh, where I do belong. So yeah, just learning to find myself and be okay with the fact that other people are going to disagree. You know, I can't, I don't have to win everybody over. Um, And when you let yourself off the hook, uh, you stop getting used and disrespected as much because you're not so hard up trying to earn people's approval because that's the paradox of approval. Like the harder you try to earn it, like the harder it is to get. So, yeah. with Chrissy podcast once again. Today we are graced by a kind-hearted leader and guest speaker who has tackled adversity and obstacles in his own journey. Jerry Fu, who is joining us today, has a colorful background as he began his career in pharmacy and found his way to now becoming a conflict resolution coach for Asian American leaders. In his business called Adapting Leaders, so definitely check that out. I am truly excited to welcome Jerry into this conversation on true leadership, conflict resolution, as we've mentioned, his journey and his story really to becoming who he is. And maybe we'll leave some um, juicy stuff in the end about salsa discussions as well, because why not? So without further ado, I just wanted to give uh, an open and warm welcome to Jerry in this conversation. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Chrissy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. How are you doing? How is your week? How's your day? How's this moment <laughs> feeling like for you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling tired from the work day, yeah. but uh, always excited, uh, you know, to do podcasts. That's been uh, a great joy to meet a lot of fun people, uh, both hosts and other guests alike, and just hearing what got them into podcasting and you know, just to see where that conversation takes us, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really glad that you get to join in because I know, you know, busy schedules, but then it's always nice to have these conversations to learn about each other's uh, stories and journey. And that's something that really stood out for me in our first conversation because I think so far in my in the introductions that I've done previously with other guest speakers, I think you were the only one that really asked me on, like, my intention, my journey, my how I came to be a podcast uh, speaker, or pod, ha, host this own podcast. So I'm um, really excited for this discussion and this conversation. Uh, but before that, Jerry, I really want to dive into some nice, um, light topics uh, so that not just me, but also our listeners can get to know you a bit better. So It'll be quite random, but not too random. So if you're ready, give me a thumbs up. Yeah. Okay. Thumbs up. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. My first question is, would you rather live in the city or in the forest? Oh, city. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I will die if you leave me in the forest. (laughs) Okay. Good to know. How about, would you rather uh, climb a mountain or swim in the sea? Oh God! I think it depends, <laughs> I I think it depends on how big. Yeah, well, it depends <laughs> on how big the sea is, right? Because like, 
I've hiked a, a 14er before in Colorado, oh. and that was really satisfying. But it's also fun to say that, you know, you dipped your toe in the Pacific. So, you know, yeah. it's, uh, if, yeah, if I had to choose, I think, I think the hike would just be, I, I love beaches, but if, yeah. if you want to have me to, in terms of an activity, the hiking, especially with friends, you just get a, a wonderful view. And, it's, you know, it's nice that with that. Both are great, but if you had, if I had to choose, it would be the hike. It'll be that. Okay, cool. And my next question is, this one can be a bit tricky. What I do find with my guest speakers is it's a hard to pick, but would you rather, um, or do you prefer watching movies or listening to music more? Oh, that's a, that's a <laughs> tough one. Um, yeah, I've, I feel like I've, I've done both, but if I had to choose, I'm surprised at my answer, but I'll go with it. Um, music, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's yeah. it's less of a commitment because <laughs> you can <laughs> do other things while you're listening to music. But if you're going to watch a movie, you need to block off like a couple hours usually. So actually, I think, yeah. That's cool. I've, I haven't thought of it that way, but that actually makes a lot of sense because mm -hmm. that's why I never finish movies because I always get distracted and like doing something <laughs> yeah. else. So in terms of music, what genre is your favorite genre of music? Oh, such a tough question to answer. <laughs> um, so many good ones. So I'll give the new, I'll give a couple just yeah. so that really stand out to me and then I'll, I'll choose which one of those three. So um, I went through an alternative rock phase mm -hmm. when I was, you know, in my teens. I I got into Jimi Hendrix and classic rock when I was in college, and then the latter half of my college career, I got introduced to Frank Sinatra, and I love, you mm. know, the older crooner singers. Yeah. And then because I go salsa dancing, I've I've gotten really warmed up to Latin music, even though I don't know nearly enough Spanish to know what they're saying. Uh, but if you had to asked me to choose one like my favorite actually is salsa music just because of the energy around it and all the rhythm and just what it and all the memories that i have associated with dancing awesome so dancing. for better or worse yeah, salsa music is is what's winning it's, over my playlist right now it's the one that's closest to your heart <laughs> that's cool and if you don't mind me asking i'm sure we'll get into this as well but how long have you been salsa dancing man the journey started in college actually um well, I didn't say I was good at it. Like, we got a taste of it, and it was a terrible lesson. And so we, <laughs> I just stayed away from it for a long time. And then uh, halfway through pharmacy school, a friend of a friend was, you know, starting the scene up in Memphis. And, and so the, a friend of mine said, hey, yeah, you got to give another chance. And so I actually got to a point where I got, got some decent at it, and I was actually enjoying myself. But then you know, moving back to Knoxville, where I was working after I graduated, there's no salsa dancing there. And mm. so I got rusty. Uh, you know, lack of confidence and, you know, I miss it. And then I get, I have just enough to like get, get, get my hopes up again, but then I, you know, get rusty again. It just was a bad cycle. Um, mm. but all that to say, uh, the most important turning point was seven years ago when I, I got serious about it again for good. And then, so yeah, so I've been dancing seriously for the past Oh seven wow, years. that's exciting. So I'm guessing dancing over singing. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, that's that's a tough one because I, I do like singing. You know, yeah. I, I hold my own at my friends' karaoke nights, and I you know yeah. I play guitar and piano uh, as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you if someone asks me to choose between a jam session and, and salsa dancing, uh, I'm going to choose salsa dancing salsa every dancing. time. Okay, cool. Yep. And the very last uh, part of this section of our mm -hmm. conversation is, what is your spirit animal? 
Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> spirit animal. You know, the first thing I thought of was an eagle. Um, just because I, I, and people can ascribe to this what they want, but I love the freedom. I love the inspiration uh, that the eagle provides. And it's something I need to remind myself to be true to uh, as I live my own life. That's beautiful. And that's something that we'll learn more about you, Jerry. I'm super excited. Um, motion sensor. <laughs> yeah, there it is. That's very smart, though. That's very smart. Um, so now, Jerry, um, we are going to go deeper into your story and learn more about, obviously, how you came to who you are right now. Um, but before that, I do want to, I do want to give you the floor to, um, share on just share us a little bit more about yourself. Like who, if you were to be asked, if I were to ask you, right, who is Jerry, how would mm -hmm. you answer that? Uh, yeah. So I'll flip it slightly with uh, a question that a friend asked me and they said, if you could title your own autobiography, what would you call it? Mm -hmm. And, um, the answer that I initially thought of that I didn't want to admit was appropriate about me was uh, the dabbler, uh, because there are just so many things that I like to try. And so there, I have this really strange mix of cultures and, you know, interests and skills uh, that people don't necessarily expect, right? Like, um, I took German in high school, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I wasn't, at the time, I didn't appreciate what kind of, you know, connections that would unlock later in life whenever I met someone from Germany. But in, in all the times I've traveled, I've met at least one German person because Germans are very good about traveling. And every time I have to kick myself because I didn't try harder at learning the language. I know enough to impress them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, the dabbler is what I would say because, you know, I, I, I stick my toe in, you know, not literally, but, you know, I've, I've dabbled in cooking and yeah. dancing and, you know, guitar and, you know, traveling to all these different countries. And then, hey, you know, my friends are like, hey, let's go axe throwing. It's like, okay, you know, why not, right? Let's just try something different. And so um, it's the classic jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of mm -hmm. mentality. Uh, but it's just fun to be able to try something and then, you know, realize, okay, after, is this something that I want to incorporate as more of a lifelong hobby or is yes. this just something I'm happy to say that I tried and, you know, I have some insight into what it's like because uh, it's more about the all-things-to-all-people mentality, right? The more things that I try... Uh, the more likely I am to be able to establish an authentic connection with somebody uh, because I know something about their world. Like it's like, you know, shooting guns mm -hmm. or, you know, um, bungee jumping and, you know, some things don't need to try like, you know, skydiving too much, right? Like yeah. I, I, two is too many for me, but yeah, yeah, you know, things like that, right. Where it's like, Hey, I tried, you know, Ethiopian food or something like that. Right. You can have some insight into, into what people are, are, are their backgrounds and such. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can definitely see myself try like being in that phase as well where I just want to mm -hmm. try many things to be able to see which one that sticks to me the most. Uh, and your journey so far as a dabbler of trying and exploring different things, which ones do you think have stayed with you the longest, have really impacted you the most? Yeah. 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 Great question. Um, yeah. Uh, like dancing is one of those things I never expected to. And, and what's more frustrating is when I have friends that say, you know, I never really saw you as a dancer. And it's like, well, you know, I'm glad I, I disagree with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I say. Um, 
music has been a good one. I didn't want to admit that, you know, I wanted to learn guitar, but I wasn't sure how much time I'd be able to invest in it. Uh, traveler is another identity that's mm-hmm. definitely stuck with me. Uh, cooking is something that I struggled to embrace at first because I was just so afraid of failure. But once I had to move out of the house and cook for myself, um, you know, I, I got to a point where I wasn't just enjoying my own food. Like I could cook food that other people would actually enjoy. So that's a, that's an encouraging sign. Um, and so, yeah, uh, tutor is another one. Um, it's, you know, one of the ways I help kind of stabilize cash flow for my, for my coaching business right Mm now. Um, so yeah, if I had to list like a top five, it would be, you know, traveler, dancer, musician, cook, and, um, and, uh, oh, reader, because I love, uh, I love reading books because yeah, you just learn so much from them, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it's it's awesome that you've shared that because it's true, right? We are multidimensional creatures and it's okay yeah. to have many interests. And for those five things that really have been the most impactful in your life, um, we, can we dive into the salsa dancing history? <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. I'm curious to know. So um, I guess... To, to help you discuss further, my my two main questions that I'm curious about is when did it first, what made you get into salsa dancing? And B, what do you feel when you dance salsa? Oh, man, so great questions. Um, the answer for the first one, honestly, the women. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love the honesty. <laughs> yeah, no, guys aren't going to get into this, but then you see the kind of women who dance salsa, and then you're like, yeah, if I'm going to dance with her, I better learn this. Yeah. Uh, let's not kid ourselves, guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, basically to kind of unpack the moment where I decide to come, uh, you know, back to dancing full time, you know, I mentioned that I got in rusty dancing um salsa as well i lived in knoxville which didn't have a big salsa scene at the time and then even after i moved back to houston 11 years ago uh, most of the friends that i i first got to know in my second chapter in houston all were two-steppers they weren't it was country dancing they they didn't do salsa and so this this skill set just kind of stayed dormant for a while there would be times that i would look for like salsa dancing on my own but you know i didn't have a community around me um but it wasn't until I got to know some more international people through my church that I was attending at the time when seven years ago when Venezuelan friends said, hey, we're going, you know, salsa dancing downtown. You should uh, join us and such. And then, Chrissy, I tell you, there was one really pretty blonde, very skilled blonde. And I saw her and I said, oh, man, I, I have to dance with her. And so uh, to parry into the second question, right, like. I was locked in. I didn't, my mind didn't freeze up because I was, I told, I told myself I had to bring my A game. I had to make sure I, I, I emptied out my entire repertoire of moves. And, and, uh, then the song finished and she gave me a hug and I, and I said, why did I stay away from this for so long? Like yeah. I just felt so alive, right? Uh, you are present, you are in the moment, you are enjoying the music, you are feeling connected to uh, another person. Um, yeah, like those are the feelings that dancing brings. And it's not surprising that for a stretch, I went dancing, salsa dancing every weekend up until the yeah. pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I like how you mentioned that you feel present and you probably feel like time 
is not moving when you're mm -hmm. dancing. Everything just yep. kind of freezes around you. You're just in this moment with this yep. person that you've built a connection with, with this music. It's basically just two of you against the world. That's how probably yep. how it feels. And right. I'm, I'm so glad you went back to it because it, it obviously shows and it feels that it's something that really brings life into your, into your day to day. Um, mm -hmm. And so how, like how, so you said after that, you've been dancing almost every weekend. Um, mm -hmm. And how do you incorporate that with, I know you, ha you are working in a pharmacy on top of being a coach as well, on mm -hmm. top of your own personal development routine. Mm -hmm. So how do you manage um, all of your priorities and still stay like very smiley right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to know. Yeah, great question. I mean, you have to say no to a lot of things, mm. <laughs> you know, right? Um, okay. Yeah, like my day job is what pays my bills. And, you know, until my side job starts to get big enough to justify cutting back on the day job, mm -hmm. um, this is just that that's the kind of ecosystem that I'm dealing with. And so whatever free time I have left, um, I have to be very careful with, right? Because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, a night here, a night there with dancing um, is, you know, not going to be enough necessarily to keep myself sane. But one of the fun activities that's kind of incorporated into my weekly routine is being a volunteer instructor for the student salsa club uh, mm -hmm. with my alma mater that's local. And so... Monday evenings, yeah, it are great. Like Mondays, I, I hate Mondays like most people, but knowing that I have dance club to look forward to and, you know, seeing all these people and this fun, active, creative musical community, yeah. um, you know, and then helping other people enjoy dancing as much as I do uh, is easily uh, one of my favorite parts of the week. So um, to answer your question, basically the answer is to get creative about how you want to incorporate dancing. So uh, on one hand, yeah, you know, Saturday evenings, sure, if it's late enough, I'm going to go. Uh, and the other hand, uh, make it part of your weekly routine as not just to dance just for yourself, because, you know, dancing, the funny thing with the dancing connection is that, you know, I'm not the type of guy that asks, you know, a girl if I could find her on Facebook after a dance with her. Like, uh, I think that's just crossing the line. I was just <laughs> like, hey, can we keep in touch? It's like, no, no, no. Like, you can recognize and respect each other, but there's a reason. Like, we, we're they're just there to dance. We're not there to necessarily make friends, you know, yeah. outside of that. Unless, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can test that if you want, but mm -hmm. it's not something I, you know, that's not what I'm there for. Um, but if you're able to find a community around you that is more supportive and actually helps you build relationships outside just regular social dancing. Um, it's just another community that uh, gives you life and, and, you know, elevates everybody in it. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's good to have that, especially during your week too, right. Mm -hmm. To keep you alive as well. And yeah. like in, in your day to day, um, well, actually I want to backtrack because I remember sure. in your, um, explanation of you being a dad, but you also mentioned that you are um, very much in a multicultural context in terms of where you were raised and your community and the people you are with. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you meant by you are you're you're with diff you have different cultures around you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Wisconsin and Tennessee aren't really known for a, a large Asian population, right? Um, and so 
uh, by default, I had to kind of adapt and get acclimated to the cultures around me. You yeah. know, actually, you know, where I was in Milwaukee, right, there's a fairly large German population. And so I had to get used to eating, you know, sauerkraut or other things, right? Because we had have friends that would serve this. And it's like, well, I yeah. don't want to be rude. So I guess I better try it. Yeah. Which, you know, maybe translates to why I have such an adventurous palate now, because I, you know, yes. I didn't appreciate it as a kid. But now that I'm an adult, I'm like, you know what, this is delicious. Like, yeah, <laughs> sure, let's have some more. Yeah. Um, and so you start to you know, unless you've grown up in one city your whole life, right? Like you're probably going to be exposed to a mix of things. And so, mm-hmm. you know, um, in Wisconsin, yeah, we had, you know, there were some Asians, we had an Asian, you know, club that, you know, that all the parents would hang out and yeah. you know, do their own thing. <laughs> yeah. And then same thing, even in Tennessee, there are enough yeah. Asians that we had some critical mass. But what was funny was when I went to Houston for college, right? When I first came to Houston for college and uh, you know, all these other Asian friends are used to being in Asian cliques, but I never really had one. So like, even when I was around more Asians, I didn't know how to, to carry myself among them because I didn't grow up in a similar environment. Um, the irony is that when I went to Memphis for pharmacy school, right, it came back to that critical master just like, well, if we're the only Asians here, then we better help each other out, yeah. uh, you know, in that mentality. Um and so the funny thing is, and it's, this one's embarrassing to admit, uh, but, uh, you know, like, but it's true. Um, I didn't know what tamales were until I, uh, you know, had them in my junior year of college here in Houston, um, because in Tennessee, we didn't have a large Hispanic population. Wisconsin didn't have one either. Yeah. Um, and then when I, like when I tried to eat tamales for the first time, I didn't realize I had to remove the husk around like the, the masa before eating it. And so, you know, I bite into it and I'm like, well, I don't get this. Like what's going on? And then people are like, what do you mean? You didn't even know how to, you don't even, you've never had these. It's like, no, I never had them. Uh, and so, you know, Houston definitely being living in a multicultural city definitely exposed me to a lot. Uh, I did have some, glimpses in Tennessee, like, you know, one of my high school classmates is Lebanese, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then, you know, a couple other Asians and, and other, and other, uh, you know, uh, ethnicities, but, um, mm-hmm. it, you didn't get to really immerse yourself in any of them until I didn't until Houston. And then, mm-hmm. um, so all that to say, right. So that's, that's where like, you start to get this mix of culture, right. Because when mm-hmm. you're exposed to a multicultural environment, now all of a sudden, uh, you're used to like, you know, you're, you're, you're trying spices you haven't used before. Or, like, uh, I grew up with a Pakistani friend actually. And I remember for his 18th birthday, uh, he, you know, they hosted uh, a birthday with authentic, you know, native, like, you know, Pakistani food and all his friends would, would go from dish to dish with me. And they're like, Oh, don't do this one. This will hurt your stomach later. You know, if you don't, if not use the spices, like don't, don't use this one. Like, and, and so it was just funny that they're helping me navigate their things because yeah, it's an acquired taste. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a little bit of how you start to like learn about different cultures because yeah, I try the food. Um, and then it wasn't until I did a school rotation in Ireland, uh, my fourth year in pharmacy school, where I really started to embrace the, oh, this is why people travel. Because I, I, cause I remember it like in high school and college when people would tell me, oh yeah, there's study abroad and people going to Europe and check out Rome or other of these cities. And I'm like, why'd you leave your friends? Like, I just want to be with my friends. Like, yeah. why would you go study a semester in Australia or whatever? But people did. And, you know, in hindsight, you know, I wish I, I kind of had been more adventurous, but I wouldn't have known until I experienced it for myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after that, yeah, travel became a much bigger priority. 
Uh, and that's when, like, that's when it started to really kind of stumble mm. on itself to really expose myself to other cultures where it's like, okay, French food or, you know, mm -hmm. um, Italian food and all these landmarks and the history and all the stories and the architecture. And that's when, again, right. We talk about dancing makes you feel alive. Exploring your cities makes you feel alive too. Yeah. So yeah, that's the answer to your question. That's the simple answer. It's just once you get a taste of what's out there, um, and you I'm have your own back. disposable income. Yeah, you don't you don't ever want to look back. And there's so much great stuff out there to, to try and learn and explore for sure. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you. Food tells a lot about the culture. And it mm -hmm. definitely shows that you have a colorful experience with different cultures with the people you grew up with. And when you mentioned about being in college and now seeing like Asian cliques, which is quite common, um, especially in school yeah how did that how did you navigate around that or did you just or i guess first of all how was it like being an asian in uh, a very caucasian community and then b how was it seeing asian people in small groups in college and navigating around your identity between who you are as an Asian person versus what you really grew up with, which is your Caucasian community. That's, I'm, I'm, it was tough. I'm, just, I'm, yeah, I'm, really, was I'm tough. intrigued. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm happy to unpack it for you. I mean, it, it you feel it on two levels uh, mm -hmm. and you just feel like you don't belong anywhere, honestly, yeah. because on one hand, people, are making fun of your accent, your appearance, right? I still, one of the things I quote, I remember I got into like an argument with a girl in the playground in elementary school and she would tell me, go back to Japan where you belong. And it's like, I'm not from Japan. I was born here. I'm a U.S. citizen. I don't know why I'm supposed to go back yeah. to Japan. You know? yeah. um, and so you have, you know, racism and, you know, silly, ignorant comments, you know, because you're an easy target. And then you also have your parents telling you you're stupid until you actually like, you know, get smart enough to do the homework that they want you to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And get the good grades. And so you're just like, no one's happy. Like mm -hmm. I can't, you know, when parents are withholding their approval, like you don't understand this long game until later in life, right. Where they're just like, no, we shame you to make you do stuff that you wouldn't do otherwise. Oh right. God. And then, yeah. And <laughs> then, totally and then you weird. have everyone else. Yeah. And then you have other people that are just like, right. And that, I mean, I still remember that. Yeah, and obviously, I, that's, you know, it scarred me for a while. But so, yeah, so to to see to to find a sense of belonging was very difficult. And the problem with insecurity is that it feeds itself. Right. Where it's just you want to resolve when you resolve to feel like an outsider, you resolve that no matter how much reassurance you get that somehow there's still something wrong, like you're sabotaging your own relationships. Um, and I've seen my own insecurities damage perfectly healthy relationships because I just refused to believe that the relationship was actually okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to see these, you know, groups of Asian kids and, you know, that were used to hanging out with other Asians and, you know, really felt like they belonged in their community or their clique or whatever, you know, I was jealous of it. Right. And the irony was that, um, you know, I looked my closest friends in college really didn't belong. Like it was, a, it was, a, it was an eclectic mix for sure. Like we had, you know, Catholic, we had Episcopalian, we had, you know, a, one girl was Jewish, her, her boyfriend now husband was an agnostic uh, at the time with a Methodist background, but it converted to Judaism when uh, they got married, you know, we got, you know, 
Catholic, we got you know all those other things, and all sorts of different races. We had Hispanic and and white, and it was it was like this is great, you know. We just yeah. didn't allow insecurities because I didn't feel like I was judged around them or somehow I, there were expectations. But yeah. uh, that was the first sense where I felt like okay, now I have a group where I belong. Um, I mean, it hasn't been easy, I'll say, just because oh, there are very few friends in life that I'd say that have like stayed with over, over the course of multiple chapters of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that just makes me all the more thankful for the ones that I have. Like, you know, my best friend from, from high school, you know, we, we had a really great uh, intentional relationship, even though we didn't see each other a lot. And my best friend from college is thankfully also living in Houston. And so, you know, um, it's good to have them as part of a support network. So mm-hmm. all that to say, the lesson was number one, to start to trust more, um, you know, with uh, recognizing that it was my decision, number one, uh, to feel like I belonged. And number two, if I do belong, let me be intentional about, you know, nurturing the relationships uh, where I do belong, uh, like dancing, you know, on some level I have credibility because I'm, I, I've been getting compliments and hugs as a dancer. So I'm not just saying I'm a good dancer. It's an arrogant statement. Like I know, uh, what I'm capable of. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but at the same time, knowing that, Hey, no matter what happens, like this community, I can always come back to this community and that's okay. Like, I love that. Um, so yeah, just learning to find myself and be okay with the fact that other people are going to disagree. Uh, you know, I can't, I don't have to win everybody over. Um, and when you let yourself off the hook, uh, you stop getting used and disrespected as much because you're not so hard up trying to earn people's approval because that's the paradox of approval. Like the harder you try to earn it, like the harder it is to get. So, yeah. 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 It's like, like he's, I I like what you said about insecurity feeds itself because it really does like, there's no way around it. You just have to get rid of it and just, or accept it and that's it. Right. And move on. But it's like so hard when you're surrounded by it. Like you said, growing up, like from the, from your parents to your school to yourself, but then you were able to find something out of it. And community doesn't always have to really be associated with your identity physically, right? It could be something that is out of your interest or your values, the friends, the connections that you've built. Um, and I, I want to dive into more on uh, when you mentioned about, you know, being in that group where you're all very multicultural and mm-hmm. from different religion, different races, just mm-hmm. like, what would you advise to someone who's similarly going through, you know, if they're, they're not certain of their Asian identity, like how, mm-hmm. how do you accept, how can you overcome that or how can you accept that and ap- appreciate your own identity. Yeah. 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 Great question. I think, I think the turning point for me really was recognizing that you just have to test things. Mm-hmm. You just have to test much like I dabble in stuff. You just have to test and you're like, you know, why do I like watching anime? Right. Like why do I like, you know, eating <laughs> like Chinese Pokemon. food? And, oh yeah. Right. <laughs> like I think, and I joke about this because the irony is that I tell people like my closest friends aren't necessarily dancers or musicians yeah. or, people is the people who like Chinese food because that's the time where we eat good food and we actually have conversations. So if, if there's any time I want to slow down to get to know somebody, do it over Chinese food. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the same principle applies here because 
um, that's people. I, and one thing that came to mind is I was answering questions earlier. People need to give themselves grace when they try a community app that doesn't work out the way they think. Um, sometimes it's very costly and, you know, I, I, if we have time to unpack one of those moments, we can, but more importantly, I think if you're willing to build around your common interests, those are probably what's going to stick most because, um, you know, one of the communities that people know I'm very dedicated to is my pharmacy fraternity uh, because one of the pharmacists there basically in teaching me how to be an effective leader saved my career. Right. But I wouldn't have found that community unless I went through some trials and, and struggles and, and mistakes of like thinking that one community, you know, they managed to convince me I, I should invest in them. And, you know, then I just ended up getting used and then, you know, mm. I just feel mad, but you know, to be able to forgive and move on and, but to also not delude yourself in the terms of hindsight, be like, Oh yeah, I knew that was going to happen. It's like, no, you, you did it because if you did, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's kind of like strength finders, right? They talk about, you know, build on what you're good at, right? At some point you got good at some things to so build on what you're good at. Same thing. You know, like, what do you love doing? Like meet up, right? That's an easy way to find, uh, people who have your common interests. And if you all like dancing or if you all like trying new restaurants or you all want to get better at a language, mm-hmm. you're probably going to spend a lot of time together. Uh, you know, it's kind of like at Rice when I was there for undergrad, um, they have this thing called a residential college system, which is much like the houses in Harry Potter, right? They're not just dorms where people yeah. stay and sleep and eat. They're like, these are real communities with traditions and you get to know each other uh, mm-hmm. over a set of traditions. And mm-hmm. so the irony is, or not the irony, the interesting thing is not so, you already have a sense of belonging with community by being assigned to a certain residential college. But then if you have the same major as people in those college those are pretty much going to be your best friends over the next four years mm-hmm. because you're all going to be not only in classes together, you're all doing social events together, things like that. Right. So mm-hmm. it becomes a double layer of uh, community and belonging because now it's like the subset of no, you're not just at, you know, like Weiss college, like you're a biology major at Weiss college. And so those will probably be your closest friends, you know, going mm-hmm. after leaving college. So yeah, the, the simple answer is, yeah, just test stuff, see what you like doing and then just do more of that. And then you'll probably find, make some great friends along the way. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. It definitely is a process at the end of the day. And when you mentioned about like um, being like testing things out and just seeing if that works out for you, that's, what you've done it's tried and tested obviously and one thing that i wanted uh, to also ask is now that you are you are you did graduate in, from um pharmacy and you are working in that field as well uh, most of the people i know who have dived into entrepreneurship or um having their own business is either not happy with the field that they're in or B, the field did not like uh, the field was not a good fit to who they are and it seems like for you you are like a good fit to where you are as a pharmacist and so I'm curious to learn more about what made you get into coaching um, specifically yeah Yeah, happy to answer that Mm -hmm. question yeah so the the jump goes like this um yeah, I mean, pharmacy, I've been doing it for 16 years now. I'm grateful for the opportunities I've, I've gotten in pharmacy. I'm grateful for the quality of life that it's given me, mm-hmm. you know, and the opportunities it's afforded me. Um, basically, you know, I I tell people that, you know, I wouldn't even start in pharmacy until I got a C in organic chemistry uh, yeah. in college. And, you know, 
you know, me being Asian, knowing it's like, no, that's the death of my pre-med dreams. I guess I'm just not even going to bother. And, you know, even though I've I've learned of plenty of people who have dealt with worse circumstances or had weaker applications than mine, had I applied to med school, you know, got in with worse grades or whatever, right? Because if you're going to be a doctor, you're not going to let bad grades stop you if if your purpose is clear enough, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, I said, well, I still want to do healthcare. Um, what else could I do? And it's like, well, a pharmacy seems to be respectable and, you know, good salary, things like that. So, you know, I applied to pharmacy school, convinced them that I would make a good pharmacist. And next thing I know, I'm going through school and I finish, um, at the behest of my risk averse, uh, mother who's never worked a day in a pharmacy, but insists that she knows everything <laughs> about pharmacy and the job market. You know, she tells me, insists that I should sign with this you know, chain pharmacy that a friend worked for. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she's like, look, your dad really struggled uh, with his employment journey, uh, despite having two master's degrees, one in chemical engineering, one in computer science. Yeah. Um, I don't want you to go through those same struggles. So just work for this company for 20 years, bank away money aggressively and just keep your head down. And one day you'll be able to finally have the freedom you're looking for. And it's like, I don't um, like this plan, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm just, I'm just tired of hearing her like push me. So I'll let yeah. me just give in. Yeah. And so, you know, initially I was unhappy. Like I, I was like, I don't like this job. Yeah. I don't have like, you know, I don't care how fat the paycheck is. I don't have a high quality of life. I'm not, you know, I have to work every other weekend. I can't do anything fun. It's not how I want to spend my mid twenties. Right. Um, and, but at one point it did get comfortable because I, you know, my boss was like, yeah, he's a good worker. We'll, we'll pay him well. Uh, I had more flexibility in scheduling at one point for this one store that I worked for. And I said, you know what, this isn't so bad. Uh, and so I got scared to leave because I knew, you know, just how rare these opportunities were. But then, um, after that went away, when I transferred stores again, I said, okay, no, like this is not a good, a good long-term career path anymore. Um, and so the problem is right. I, since I hadn't been working in my career because I was just happy like collecting the checks when I wanted to get into teaching pharmacy students I didn't have a residency or any other like PhD to do that um, but the next best thing was that a friend who worked for a consulting company here in Houston I was working in Tennessee at the time a friend who worked for a, consult- a pharmacy consulting company here in Houston uh, said hey I know you're looking to teach um, you can teach to our company if uh, you want to apply for my old position, which is now available since I got promoted, are you interested in applying? Mm-hmm. And I said, absolutely. So I walked away from a full-time position. I just earned a third week of vacation, but I didn't care. Right. And I'm just like, nope, got to walk away, take on this part-time position, hopefully earn my way up. And I was so excited for the opportunity to work for this company. And, you know, the worst first couple of weeks, I felt alive, you know, I'm just like, teaching students and this is fun and, yeah. you know, hours are great and I don't care if I, you know, I have, I'm making enough to live on. So, you know, fine. Uh, 11 months later, I get fired and, you know, it's my fault. Um, I just wasn't that serious about becoming a credible instructor. And I was in this kind of successful victim mode where somehow I just felt like as long as I could convince my boss why I didn't have to do the jobs you initially assigned to me or agreed to that somehow that was okay and clearly it's not like mm. <laughs> you know if your company's paying you to get a job done get it done yeah uh, life lesson number five uh, <laughs> but anyway that's when the roller coaster got really weird because yeah. you know in my desperation uh to find a job in an increasingly saturated market um i ended up at an independent pharmacy where uh, it was a crooked job i was filling for crooked doctors before my paychecks bounced and it was just kind of like this isn't good and, but me being so risk averse, I didn't know how to confront the boss who's clearly ripping me off. Right. Um, after nine months of that, 
Uh, my friends got me out of that job uh, into a, a, a more reliable one, but money was still tight. And they said, hey, we like you, but we can't pay you more than eight hours a week. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, so now what do I do? And they said, well, if you're willing to work for our store out in Austin, uh, which is about two and a half hours away, I said, wow. okay, beggars can't be choosers. So now I'm going to Austin. I have no idea what my life is going to look like because I finally felt like Houston was home. I didn't want to move again. And yeah. I was just like, oh, like, what am I going to do? Um and so that summer was basically kind of the turning point because I had the opportunity, some friends who work for this pharmacy nonprofit through our fraternity said, hey, uh, we know you've been facilitating um, workshops on the fraternity side, but uh, we need someone on the leadership side. Can you help teach this material for mm. us? And I said, absolutely. And so teaching leadership and seeing it modeled for me um, kind of change something in, in my thinking because before leadership was hard, I wasn't good at it. And I, it wasn't worth the extra money for the like twice the headaches that you were getting. So I just wanted to avoid it because I didn't want to look incompetent. But now I said, well, what if I could be a good leader? Um, and so I came back that fall and, you know, they said, Hey, you can stay part-time in Austin. It was a great team. Or you can take on a full-time manager position in Houston that just opened up. And I said, I can't stay safe. I can't stay comfortable. I need to take on this challenge and I want to come home to Houston. I'm going to take this on. And next year I proceed to get written up because I was not keeping my technicians in line when they were not pulling their weight. (laughs) And so this continued uphill battle. Uh, I did get out of the doghouse, thankfully, but uh, that company had their funding pulled um, right around the time of my probation period uh, concluding. And the only reason I got another interview uh, randomly uh, that I from a, uh, a posting I received it by email uh, was that I had leadership res- uh, leadership experience on my resume now and I said wow that was a good decision and so you know that job only lasted 11 months um, because of various insurance problems and things like that and then again uh, you know I have more icebergs to hop to right because I have you know leadership experience but there's still icebergs and so um, Four years ago, when my previous employer went under for similar challenges, um, I said, you know, I'm tired of chasing scripts and tired of fighting insurance companies that are just, you know, finding ways to kill off independent small pharmacies. But I really love teaching these leadership workshops. And I know what kind of training I wish I'd had, you know, when I was younger. Um, Mm -hmm. What if I made a career out of this? And so, you know, still, you know, scared to... I have no idea how to open a business, run a business, you know, build a business, scale a business, right? Uh, and so I just did some research. Some friends were kind enough to hire me because they knew I was good at facilitating these workshops, and that was great. But you know, I still didn't have any skin in the game, and it wasn't until COVID hit when I said, "Okay, um, how much longer can I afford to put this off?" So yeah. you know, put in the LLC paperwork, opened the bank account, got the website up, um, and you know, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's just got, it's like, it doesn't do I, look like which, it. <laughs> yeah. Which, which hat do I wear today? Do I wear the marketer hat? Do yeah. I wear like the, you know, CEO hat? Like which one is it? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that's basically the transition. And because yeah, most people don't see it. They're like, how did you go from like pharmacist to leadership coach? Uh, but that's the transition when you realize, uh, there's so much in terms of relationships that isn't taught in school or not taught well. And, mm-hmm. 
you see the opportunities in pharmacy where, you know, I interviewed a pharmacist earlier today. She's like, you know, this is one of the most passive professions that I've ever seen, like in 13 years in working. And she's like, I can't believe how scared people are of conflict or, you yeah. know, just rocking the boat or other things. And so it's like, you know, how do we change this around? Right. Um, yeah. That's one of the reasons the, the practice has been, we've been dealing with a lot more headaches lately because not only are we saturated, you know, uh, we didn't defend our territory. And now, you know, like margins on insurance reimbursements are smaller than ever. And how do we, how do you, how do you still, can you still say that your purpose in becoming a pharmacist is enough to carry you through these tough times? And, you know, a lot of pharmacists are pursuing alternate careers now because they just said, you know, what's just not worth it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot to definitely um, unbox from that story, but I'm really thankful that you've shared that. It definitely shows the difference of, mentality on how you faced your and conquered and made your decisions in different parts of your life and it's definitely the opposite of what your mom asked you to do (laughs) 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 but as you've mentioned it's important to be creative in the way you live your life because that's really the only way that you can gain freedom as well because if not then you always have to ask what if i did this or what if i tried that right and so With So going now into your current state, which is being a coach, a conflict mm-hmm. resolution coach for Asian Americans, let's, uh, let's break that down. Conflict resolution sure. coach mm-hmm. for Asian Americans. So what, um, what type of conversations are you hoping to achieve with the people you are bringing in your coaching sessions? when you say coaching resolution and what made you um, specify that you'd want this to be for Asian American leaders? Yeah. Great questions. Um, yeah. When you, this is true for anyone that's trying to get into a business, you have to know who your audience is, right? Mm-hmm. Cause I like the idea of saying, Oh, I'm a leadership coach. And everyone's like, join the club. Like there's plenty of leadership <laughs> coaches. We have a whole club full of leadership coaches. And it's like, oh, all right. I kind of need to do something a little more specialized. Um, yeah. And so what they say in coaching is that your ideal client is who you were 10 years ago. And so part of it was recognizing, hey, if you're from a different culture, you know, your parents probably told you one thing. And when you try applying it to other things in your life, yeah. you realize that it doesn't <laughs> like what your how your parents tell you to handle conflict at, you know, in the house doesn't work with your boss who doesn't know Asian culture necessarily. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Yeah. What am I looking for? Because I know multicultural people usually don't know which approach to take, you know, when, you know, do I just be respectful or is this one of those moments I can actually, you know, vent all my frustration, like there's, there's no guidance there. Right. So that's the first thing. Uh, The second is, yeah. um, You know, conflict resolution, like that's just something we have to all deal with, but people aren't very good at it. Right. And so it's like, um, and that was my struggle, like much like leadership, conflict resolution, I was terrible at it. And, you know, and then when I let a friend convince me that I was to just give in every time someone's upset with me, like, I'm just like, I hate this. Like, I I don't know that this just doesn't help. And, you know, like, especially in leadership, you can't just avoid something just because it's difficult. Like you're not going to stay employed much longer. And so like, what's a better way forward? And, you know, um, and people will tell me, Jerry, they're like, this is, whether you chose it, it chose you, whether you realize it or not, because in some of the situations that I can uh, briefly glance on just to show you what kind of 
situations helped me grow. You know, at one point I had to fire a technician who was pregnant actually twice on two different, two different situations. You know, that's never fun. Mm-hmm. Um, another time I found out when I was a second day on my job as a church class director, I found out a newer guy was sexually harassing women in the class. And they said, Hey Jerry, you have to go handle this. Um, mm-hmm. Another time, you know, a roommate uh, that was renting from me defaulted on his lease and basically stayed in his room and basically dared me to actually enforce the consequences of defaulting on that lease. And, you know, and you realize very quickly, if I don't do something, this situation will not get better until I learn to have this difficult conversation yeah. and work through the specific wording. Um, and so to help other people with similar backgrounds, like, you know, spare them a little less in terms of time and effort so that they can actually reach the closure that is much better than any comfort that they get just by trying to stay and avoid the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what I want to give them to say, Hey, look, you have the strength and ability to engage and here's a plan, uh, that, you know, has very clear steps so that, uh, you will not default to avoidance, uh, when a, dis- a difficult situation comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's great. It's so true, especially I think, and I don't want to generalize, but I definitely see it in my culture a lot where we're just, um, at least my friends or my community, we're, we're just like, well, just brush it off, brush it off. It's fine. Uh, you know, it'll fix itself. Um, we don't want to rock the boat. But then I think especially living in a very diverse community, you have to, we have to learn to speak up because if not, then no one no one would know what's going on behind the scenes, right? And yeah. basically standing up for ourselves is standing up for the people who look like us too, because then whoever gets judged for what they look like, it's like something that cannot be avoided. But if we can do something about it in that situation, then it's going to help everyone else in that community. So that's, it's cool that you were able to find out those patterns because Definitely not something that people encounter often in their lives, right? So the pattern that you show up, you just responded to it and we're listening to the signals that kind of, I guess the universe is telling you. So in terms of dedicating your time as a coach to Asian American leaders, is there a reason why you'd want to focus specifically on Asian American, the Asian American community? That's a great question. I mean, right now, um, I, I know how much help I needed and I, you know, based on the conversations I've had with my clients, I know it's a conversation they need help with as well. You know, mm-hmm. like one client, you know, he was scared for his job stability because he saw people like he saw bosses get fired or let go. And he's, you know, like, how do I make sure I don't, you know, lose my job next round of cuts. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we worked through a strategy to, to discuss with this boss, you know, and how to make sure that. Uh, he would pull his weight way that would, you know, the company would say, Hey, you know, this guy pulls his weight. He's creative. He's creative, adaptable, hardworking. Yeah. Well, you know, we need to keep him around. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, another client, you know, her boss was very temperamental. He tried to call her after hours. She didn't pick up. He blew up at her the next day. And she's mm-hmm. just like, how do I, you know, how do I resolve this, this frustration that I have with him without antagonizing him and possibly getting fired? Cause he's just so temperamental. Right. Um, and so to give people like that, you know, you know, clear next steps, the confidence to follow through with that, right? And even just in general, 
when you see, you know, news coverage that is unflattering or people just want to yell out racist things, right? Like even, even as much progress as we've made like there's still plenty of you know yeah. hateful things and racist and discrimination things going on um you know how do we give them a voice how do we help them find a way to engage in a way that is respectful but not silent or deferential which mm-hmm. you know is appropriate for some situations but not for the difficult ones right yeah and in your own words jerry what would you say is good leadership good leadership Man, if I had to put it in a sentence, um, good good leadership is uh, involves integrity in who you are, where you're going, and who's coming with you. Mm. Well, uh, that's that's profound. <laughs> There's, I feel like I'm just gonna take that in. I might like re-listen because I feel like that is everything in one sentence, but Hmm. for you, how did you find, what was your experience with leadership, both as a leader and someone who's following a leader? Oh man, (laughs) that might be a whole other episode. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, what I can tell you now in in, in just the time that we have left, I mean, you learn quickly that, um, you learn basically there's a great book called designing your work life that distinguishes between influence and authority. You learn that just because someone has the authority or the title doesn't mean like they deserve the influence, right? Like influence Mm -hmm. comes from character, uh, and communication and competence. Right. Um, and so you learn quickly, like who does a good job leading you, right? Do I feel motivated? Do I feel appreciated? Do I feel heard? Do I feel respected? Um, do they bring out the best in me? Do they excite me to work alongside them? Right. Um, you know, some of the characteristics of the leader that I learned from, right. I said, you know, I studied after a while, after we worked together, I said, why, well, you know, why, how am I so you know excited to work with him? And he, you know, I want to run through walls for this guy. And I said, okay, uh, he's fun to be around. He's not like salty with his language. He doesn't put people down. He, He's just fun to hang out with, number one. Number two, he's fun to learn from. Like, he's always improving himself or always sharing something interesting that he's learning. Uh, he's very collaborative, right? Every time he, he was tinkering with something, uh, you know, he would say, hey, what do you think of this? Like, this is what I started, and I want, you know, I want your opinion and see if this is good or what am I missing or something like that. So he took the initiative. He was, there was no question about his work ethic. Um, and so I once I realized these four things, I realized, you know what, I need to incorporate these things into my leadership style. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, do I use everything he does? Well, a good chunk of it. Cause it's really good, but mm. you know, I also like to put my own spin and flavor on things. Uh, now that I've kind of learned my own, um, you know, kind of put my own kit together. It's like, okay, like, let me, you know, try my own. Uh, I know the basic recipe now. Can I kind of add my own spices if you want to use that before? Um, mm. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, you learn very quickly. Yeah, just because someone's in charge doesn't mean uh, they're competent. But at the same time, it is in your best interest to support your leaders uh, and think like them so that uh, when you have to answer the challenge of leadership, uh, you're already thinking like one, right? Yeah. No, that's amazing. That's, I feel like looking up and seeing how they are as a person more than just as a leader with the title really shows a lot on how you can adapt to the way that their their style is, but also mm-hmm. learning from them and so you can take it 
so that you can be a good leader as well uh, in your own life. Uh, yeah. And so to wrap things up, Jerry, thanks again for yeah. sharing those stories. There's a lot of things that we definitely have learned and have heard from your journey. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful mm-hmm. where you've come from and where you are right now. So to wrap things up in a nice little bow, we'll finish it with the final three, I would say, final three questions I do ask all of my guest speakers. So my first question is, um, what are you most, what are the three things that you're most grateful for? Yeah, um, I'm grateful to my parents for all the challenges they they face as immigrants coming over here trying to give us a better life. Mm-hmm. I am grateful for um, friends who have poured into me and uh, wouldn't let me settle for a lower standard than what they know I'm capable of. Yeah, and third thankful for the ability to pay my bills yeah Very important. <laughs> so so i can know that yeah. I, I can i can you know take care of my needs yes. and those, those of the those and the needs of those that are important to me i mm-hmm. um, happy for those three things yeah. for sure beautiful all right second question this might mm-hmm. Don't, don't cry on this one. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> I might tear up. Um, okay. But no, I love uh, asking this question. Um, and it's, what is your love message to yourself? What would you tell Jerry? Oh, good yeah. question. Um, <laughs> stop beating yourself up. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't do anything. Yeah. You'll, I'm sure. I'm sure. I hope. He'll listen to this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you're doing well, Jerry. It's amazing. Uh, and obviously the last thing, and I really want our listeners to know this as well. Um, where can we find you, Jerry? Yeah, um, I have a profile on LinkedIn if you are looking for a social media handle. Yes. Um, but the website uh, you can direct people to is www.adaptingleaders.com. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a free blog on interesting and useful books. Uh, you can get a free download, uh, with that provides a framework for having difficult conversations, if that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also schedule a complimentary 30 minute call, uh, just to tell me what you're up to, tell me what you're working on, tell me what you need help with. So yeah, awesome. just yeah. Uh, check out the website. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I'll definitely put them all in the description and also I'll post them in Instagram for people who are there so they can find you easily. Um, but to, to end this conversation, Jerry, I just want to thank you for your time, for your presence and for your vulnerability in sharing all these stories to myself, not just to myself, but also to the listeners who are in this episode. Um, final thoughts is, it's great. It's really great for me to always hear these stories from people who have gone through adversity and um, are now thriving and even figuring things out, but with a joyous heart and joyous light. And that's something that I definitely see in your energy. So it's really cool. And I appreciate your <laughs> light. Uh, I appreciate your presence, Jerry. And I hope that um, we'll have more conversations down the road. But this is definitely the start of something really great. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for having me, Chris. I look forward to our next conversation. Yes, me too. 
Thank you again and here's to hoping that your day is filled with peace, joy and love. Keep speaking your truth and manifesting your dreams and always remember to nurture healthy relating. You may be told that you're not that special, but hey, you matter because you are unique. You are put in this earth as an energy container and it's time to open yourself up and share what you've got. I am so rooting for you and hope to have you here again at Moments with Chrissy.